You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have knots, we are not afraid. Our stories have phrase, they are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1:17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. Welcome to episode number 129 with Lori Beth Bobble, a friend of both Jill's and mine that goes, we go way back with Lori Beth. Lori Beth's going to talk about a really dark time in her life when her marriage fell apart, her first marriage. And she talks a lot about holding a lantern for those coming behind us so that when other people are experiencing something similar, we need to hold a lantern to show them the way out. So what a beautiful analogy. And this story has all kinds of encouraging wisdom that she offers to us. And I am so excited that she shared. Everybody, listen in. Hi, Lori Beth. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. We are thrilled you said yes. (laughs) And we would love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get a glimpse into who you are. Okay. Well, um, my name is Lori Beth Bobble, and I am a wife and a mom to four kiddos. I have um, two 10-year-olds, a 7-year-old, and a 2-year-old. We are very busy all the time. I really thought I was busy when I had like babies and toddlers at the same time, but I've learned now that everyone has practices and activities and they want to be with their friends. I'm much busier now than I was when they were, when when they were babies, I thought I'll never get any busier than this. This is so stressful. And now my husband are like, see you tomorrow when we leave, you know, because somebody's got to go to wrestling and cheer and all the things, but I, I wouldn't trade it. We we have a very blessed and busy life, and mm-hmm. I love that. I wouldn't trade that. Awesome. Yeah. And you live here in Owasso, right? I do. I grew up here. Um, we moved here when I was five, and my parents actually are OG members of First Baptist Owasso. They've been there awesome. for 32 years, I think, mm-hmm. and I grew up there and um, started singing there, leading worship there, and um we're now at Central. My husband and I and our family were at Central Baptist, but Owasso has been my home and my husband's home too. We went to high school together, so we oh, both cool. grew up in this area. Yeah. Awesome. And aren't you also involved in fitness training? I am. I teach at Fit For Her in Owasso, um, teach fitness classes there and do personal training um, and try to keep myself <laughs> in shape too along the way. So I stay pretty busy with that. And also chasing a two-year-old is, you know, physical fitness in itself. So I do a lot of that. Too. And you have another job on top of all that. I do. I work in dental and I also have just recently started working at my youngest, Olivia, her little school, but I do also work in dental. So I wear a lot of hats. I, there's not one hat I don't think I wear. So I stay busy. Yes. Yes. Aaron and I, Aaron is my husband and, um, 
we went to high school together, but we met later in life. As we'll get into my story, you'll learn that I found myself a single mother later in life. And I had known Aaron in high school. We ran in similar circles. Now, he would tell you that he was pining for me from afar and always thought I was just the most beautiful, greatest. I never got that vibe from him. But he says that that's that's what was going on, is that he had quite the crush on me. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he sent me a message on Facebook, um, you know, the, the dating pool that we have now that is Facebook. And he was very sweet and uh, just respectful and just kind of started up a conversation. And one thing led to a thousand text messages and then a first date and we ended up um, reconnecting. But yeah, we, I've known him since I was probably 15, but just the steps that God ordered for me, we did not end up getting married until a few years ago. So but. were you already kind of random Facebook friends? Well, no, I mean, he added me. And then I think very quickly was looking to see like what my dating situation was. <laughs> we were not friends on Facebook okay. for the longest okay. time. And then he added me. And then shortly thereafter, you know, was liking a post here. And he was playing it cool. You know, he don't want to come on too strong. Um, but yeah, we just started talking on Facebook is really how it started. Very casual. Obviously, I was pretty like, I don't know about love at all. And um he, he convinced me. I guess you could say he gave me the audacity to hope again that maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe maybe it was worth taking a shot one more time. And I, I'm glad I did. We have a great family and a great life. I love that phrase. I do too. The audacity. audacity to hope. Yeah, because when you are brokenhearted, you just, you just don't even want to put yourself out there. It's just easier to protect yourself. So he just gave me the just even the thought I might want to talk to him was a big deal. Mm -hmm. I might want to because before it was like, I do not want to talk to anyone like I am busy. I don't want to talk. So he did. He did. So I was not really interested in pursuing anything romantically. It was not on my radar. Um, I was I was pretty okay. Um, I wasn't lonely being alone. So I I really wasn't something that I was necessarily actively going to pursue. But He's a good guy, so and I think he's just the right person for me too. So that helps. <laughs> okay, so let's go back a little bit and talk about how we how you got to that place. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been God has always gifted me with being an op- optimist. I'm I'm not just glass half full. I'm just glad to have a glass sometimes. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. I I'm very optimistic. So I think I never really had like the root of bitterness that sometimes can set in when people walk through divorce or heartbreak. And I also had such a phenomenal example of marriage in my parents. Um, They walked a path. I mean, they're stellar. They've been married 45 plus years. um, And they walked with me through the divorce. They helped me raise my daughters. And they actively showed me that God believes in marriage and I believe in God. So, you know, I I think it was sort of a trickle down of, I just, I really believe in marriage, which is weird for someone to say who has a marriage that didn't work the way that she wanted it to. But I still believe that God's design is for marriage and that he's pro marriage and that he wants his people to actively pursue that covenant. And that never changed for me. I always believed in that. How could I not? 
Um, I had so many people that were walking alongside me that were modeling that and my own parents modeled that. And, you know, God's always the same. He never changes. His standards are the same. His expectations are the same. Um, The only thing that changes are the people around you. And I just never, I guess I never really lost sight of that. I didn't know. I can't say that I knew that I would fall in love or that I would get married, but I was never bitter about it. I just, I wasn't looking for it. And I wasn't, I wasn't like dreaming about the day I would meet someone, you know, it wasn't like that for me, but I, I never was like marriage doesn't work and I don't believe in it. Mm. I think sometimes people, people stop believing in their own marriages or make other choices that end a marriage, but I never felt like marriage doesn't work. I just, I never felt that way. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what happened in your first marriage? Yes. I am happy to do that with you. Before we jump into it, I had told my oldest daughter, she's old enough that she really remembers a lot. My middle daughter, um, my family's blended and I should have touched on that. But so Addison is my oldest daughter from my first marriage. My husband has a son, Easton, who is also 10. So now we have twins. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) They're going to drive and go to college at the same time. Okay. And then I have Price. And then Aaron and I have had Olivia together since then. So our family is uniquely blended. But Addison remembers a lot and is the most affected by the divorce. She remembers a lot about it. And I had told her last night that I was going to do a podcast, mm-hmm. that I was going to kind of share our story. And and she said, well, why are you going to do that? Not in a like offended way, but just why? And I just told her, I said, you know, If you've ever been like, imagine you're on a dark road and you, you're sure you're going to die out there. You're alone. Like you, you don't know where to go. And then imagine you see somebody with a lantern off in the distance. Okay. And they run to you and they tell you, not only do I know the exact way I've actually walked this path before, like I, I can walk with you. It's so important when we go through something that's really traumatic or really painful, that we understand that we have a responsibility to walk with the next person. And I learned that from my mom. My mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor. And I've seen my mom walk with countless women. I've seen her get the phone call, hey, so-and-so just got really bad news. We need you to call her. We need you to take her to lunch. Or I just got really bad news. I, I have cancer. And my mom has walked with them so beautifully. And I felt from the beginning, I felt this burden on my heart that I want to be that person with the lantern that says, you can survive, you will survive, follow, follow me. Lori Beth, you're talking to some listeners right this second who are tearing up saying, that's me. Right. She's talking to me. And I absolutely had women who did that for me. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Susan Cook. Jennifer Andrews. Her name's not Andrews anymore. She got married, and I can't think of her last name. Beardsley. That's it, Jen. <laughs> that's that's the one. Uh, Joan. All of these women from yeah. First Baptist Owasu that that held the lantern for me. And what a privilege it is um, to get to do that. And God never wastes our pain. It doesn't mean that He spares us from it, but He's never wasted a tear that I've cried through this whole process. Through getting random messages from people asking about my experiences or, you know, just asking for advice or guidance. Like he's never, he's never wasted 
any of the heartache that I've had. He didn't take it away. I mean, I felt, I felt it. I felt every bit of it, but he's put it to good use for his glory. And I mean, I can't think of a bigger, a better privilege Mm. on my life. Um, my life did change on September 16th of 2019. I had been married for 13 years and we actively led worship together. We were very involved in the church. Um, and I don't go into a ton of detail about what happened, but just it was made very clear that our marriage was in very serious danger and was probably beyond repair. And for me, someone who grew up under this um, amazing example of marriage and coming from a long line, there's very little divorce in my family and also it just being a very blindsiding moment. It went from my life looks like this and this is what everyone thinks of my life and this is what I think my life is to none of that is the actual reality around me. Um, So from that day forward, I knew that my life was about to change course. And I remember um, I took my daughters, at the time I just had two kiddos, I took them to the park. It was a few days afterwards, and I knew that I was going to have to tell them what was going on with their dad. And I remember watching them on the swings and thinking in my mind, I can still see them on that tire swing and thinking, this is the last time that everything's going to be normal for them. This is it. Like these last few moments. I remember dragging out those moments at the park because I thought when I get them home, everything is going to change. I still remember that so vividly. And I remember the biggest lesson I learned throughout the entire process of divorce and having to learn how to share my children and, and all these things that come with divorce. There was a particular piece of scripture that it hadn't meant very much to me before all of this happened. I had a relatively charmed life up until this point, a relatively easy experience. Uh, there's a passage in it's in Hebrews and it talks about, it says that, but we don't have a high priest and I'm summarizing here, read the original author. If you want the exact version, but we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand our sufferings or our temptations or what we've gone through. And the reason that is so important to me is because when I was thinking of that moment, I thought about the garden in Gethsemane because I remember I was sitting by myself Um, The girls were in bed and my parents had had to go to a trip overseas. Like they were out of the country. So it was just me alone. And I remember telling God, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want Mm -hmm. to be your poster child for this problem. Yeah. I don't want to help people with this. I don't want to do it. Please don't make me do it. You know, because I already knew in my heart that the marriage was not going to be restored. I just knew. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Very early on, I knew, like, this is the path you're walking. It's going to happen. And I remember just telling God, I I don't want to do this. And I remember immediately God just, like, putting in my mind a picture of Jesus in the garden. And when he says, let this cup pass from me, he's saying, I don't want to do this. Right. I, I don't want to do this. I will do it, but I don't want to. And for me... That was really one of the first times that I understood that passage for what it was in that 
God will call us to walk through things that we don't want to do, but he did that for me. He was not looking forward to crucifixion. He was not looking forward to it. He did it, but he understood the anxiety I was feeling of, this is too much. I cannot do this. Please don't make me do it. He obeyed and he did it. And so did I. But having that equalizer of it, God isn't just some entity up in the sky that is sovereign. He is all of those things, but he understands my heartache on the deepest level, even down to being called to walk a situation that nobody really wants to. Nobody wants to be divorced. We don't stand on our stage on our wedding day or at your venue and think, well, hopefully this, I get a good five to seven out of this. You know, like everybody wants their marriage to work. And when you hold your children and you bring them into the world, you don't think, well, we'll probably have a broken home, but it'll be okay. All of those things are things that I thought and I had to process. Um, But I was comforted by the fact that Jesus himself struggled with those issues and basically said, this isn't what I want to do, but I accept your will and I'll walk it. And we get called to do that all the time as believers. I don't want to do this, but I'll walk it. Yeah. That had to be such a scary feeling though, to feel like I'm in this reality that I think is my life. And then in a split second, Mm -hmm. that is not actually what my reality is. Yeah. Um, I went to a lot of therapy. I'm very pro therapy. Uh, my children went to therapy. Um, it was, it was pretty traumatizing. It was also, it was really humbling for me too. Um, it was an experience where I don't want to say I was a prideful person, but I certainly felt like I'm doing pretty good in life. You know, I've got this marriage and we're leading worship, and we have these two beautiful kids, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of any of those things. Like the, but I just mean that I, um, I put a lot of weight in those things as my identity, and once they were gone, I had to really learn that my identity is Jesus and nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's not a mom. It's not a wife. It's not a worship pastor, because all of those things can be taken away. And I don't mean taken away by God, but just even by my choices, by other people's choices, all of those things are temporal. The only thing that's absolute and eternal is Jesus and Mm -hmm. everything else can go. And I, something that I, that really helped me with the healing process was Genesis 50, 20. And it's where Joseph is. It's, it's the grand finale of Joseph's story and you guys probably know it, but he was thrown into the pit by his brothers and betrayed on countless levels. And he lives this kind of depressing life of one travesty of another happening to him. But finally he catches a break and he ends up, you know, uh, basically secondhand to the king. It's It's a very powerful position. And his brothers, of course, they get sent back into the picture. And he says, you know, what you meant to harm me God used for good. And I love that passage because really what Joseph is saying is you threw me away, but God put me on the throne, you know, but the most important thing of that passage was people tend to brush over all of the humbling that he had to go through from the pit to jail to false accusations by Potiphar's wife. And all of those things made him the kind of person that you'd want on the throne. 
They humbled him. They taught him empathy. They taught him compassion. At the end, one of the last things it says is that he treated his brothers with kindness Mm -hmm. after all of that. And had he not been humbled and had not God worked out the bitterness that could have been in him. I mean, he could have killed them and their children and all of their wives and no one would have said anything because he was that powerful and that important. They didn't. And I really, that really resonated with me is I believe that God has put me in a position to tell my story, but he humbled me so that I might be the kind of person that you'd want to tell their story. Mm. And that was something that did need refining in me. I, I had a lot to learn when it came to compassion and empathy. I had grown up very charmed. I, you know, I didn't understand things that happened to people in their lives that perhaps changed their worldview or their perspective. I remember in particular one night we were serving, it was when First Baptist was passing out meals. Remember that during COVID and we would Mm -hmm. pass out groceries Mm -hmm. and a woman, she pulled up in a Lexus and we were loading up groceries and it was relatively like freshly after everything had happened with me. And I remember I caught myself thinking, why is she getting groceries? And then God very quickly reminded me, do you recall when your husband left, you had a Lexus, but you also had $4 to your name. You know what I mean? Like, sure. like oh, wow. we, yeah. he checked me and he, he took me to, you know, Potiphar's house and through jail and through being thrown in a pit and all of those things got me to a place where I can look at people who have wronged me and treat them with kindness. Not because that's Lori Beth. That's just, that's just what God does. That's how he works things out for our good. And more importantly, for his good, because people get divorced literally every day, right? What intrigues people is because bad things happen constantly. Mm -hmm. What intrigues people and what best represents the gospel is how you react when something like that happens. I was telling my husband, you know, we have four kids and, um, my response will never again be that will never happen. (laughs) I will never say that about myself, Mm -hmm. about my Mm -hmm. children. What I will say is how will I react like Jesus if, and when that happens, Mm -hmm. because it really shifted my focus on, Oh, I'm so solid and great and everything's so good. Nothing like that could ever happen to me. It shifted. It shifted my mindset and it made me realize the correct response is if, and when that happens, how am I going to put the gospel on full display? Mm-hmm. And it wow. and it it helped me to heal and to grow and to change and to become the kind of person that I hope is worthy to tell their story. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's so important. And I also had a really great group of friends that came along with me. Susan Cook. It's so funny. I went to a. Um, women's event at First Baptist Owasso probably four months before my whole life exploded. And Susan was a speaker there. It was like a a dinner or something. But I remember she said um, that when you're walking through something that's really hard, you should keep your friend's circle close because some people want to know you and some people just want to know your business. And she was absolutely correct. And one thing that I would advise anybody who's walking through any kind of hardship is you need that group of friends. I have a girl group of friends, Jennifer, Jenny, Brittany, Stephanie, Elizabeth, Haley. Um, they walked with me and we still have a text thread. In fact, they're all praying right now for me because they know I'm telling a story that they had a front row seat to Mm -hmm. the kind of friends that will help you pack up your home 
at 10 o'clock at night while your children sleep at your parents' house because they don't even know you're having to sell your home, you know, the Mm -hmm. kind of friends that will pick up your kids from school for you because you just can't get out of bed that day, the kind of friends, you know, that show up. That's so important. And they show up not because they want to know your business, but just because they want to know you. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it served me well to not try to, when you're divorcing, especially, it's very easy to want to put the other party, if you feel wronged or vice versa, to put them on blast. And something that is very important to me is my children, Mm -hmm. they love their dad and he's a part of them. And Mm -hmm. I would never want them to think that I don't love part of what made them. them, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And something else that's really important and has helped me figure out because, you know, I had to go from being a stay at home mom and we're crafting and I see you all the time every day to now I'm sharing custody and I don't see you all the time. And, you know, I had to, had to learn how to do that. And that was honestly, that was very hard out of the whole process, put aside my heartache, put aside the failure of the marriage, like letting go of my children was so incredibly difficult for me because my identity, it was my daughters, like that they were it for me. And one thing I learned is that you have to give your kids and we have to do this with Aaron's son. Obviously he's not my biological child, but you have to give your kids the freedom to tell you, I still wish you were with mom or I still wish you were with dad. You have to let them do that because they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless there's like egregious abuse, your kids want their mom and dad to be together. You know, like they do. And I had to learn to like let my kids grieve. And that doesn't mean that they don't love and respect Aaron. No, not at all. They just would rather not have right gone through that. And they love Aaron and Easton loves me and we have a great family. But there is still a part of them that sees people with nuclear families that have not experienced divorce. And they still long for that sometimes, you know. It's not a desire that I think rules them anymore the way that it used to when everything first happened. But I think it's important to be really patient with your kids, especially when you're trying to blend a family Um, because they just they see their mom and their dad and and they miss that sometimes. Mm -hmm. They miss what it was or the illusion of what it was or what they think it was, you know, like they don't have the wisdom to really understand the full depth of the situation. And for you to give them the safe space to express that and to be fine with knowing my mom's going to let me tell her how I really right. feel and she will love me no matter what. Mm-hmm. That's a huge burden lifted that they can share those thoughts with you and you are not going to berate their dad. Instead, you're going to say, I love you. Right. You're going to just receive whatever they're sharing. And I think that's valuable to so many levels that Mm -hmm. you're doing that and sharing that. And I think that's a pretty key point. How did you learn to do that? Did you have some excellent advice or did you just know in your heart that that was what you needed to do? Well, I, like I said, we, we did go to therapy and I think that that was very helpful for me because (laughs) When you're talking to your friends, your friends love you. They think you're the greatest thing in the world. (laughs) You're always right. The other one's always wrong. You know, when you involve somebody who's more of a third party, it does help you garner a perspective of it really doesn't matter what I like. It matters what's best 
for my kids. So it was a combination of good advice. And also, I genuinely, I'm not mad that my daughters love their dad. I'm just not. Of course. You know, I know some people do struggle with that. And I understand that there's situations that it makes it very difficult. For me, I'm not mad that, that they love him. I think that's good. I mean, they need to have a connection with him and a bond with him. And Aaron and I have always focused exclusively on trying to cultivate the best, like, kind of step-parent relationships we can while also keeping those healthy boundaries of, I understand that I'm not your mom, but I sure do love you. And, mm-hmm. and I love cheering you on. And, or, you know, I know I'm not your mom, but I am in this house with you. And, you know, These we do have boundaries. Yeah. And it's really tough. Man, blending a family it's not something that I ever thought I was going to do, but it's been such a beautiful and wild ride because all of our kids bring their own hurts and their own past experiences. They bring that to the table and then we take all of that and we try to create, you know, a family unit and it works beautifully because we all show up every day and choose each other. You know, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. When you don't have a biological connection with a kiddo, it takes time and it takes a kid knows that their biological parent, for the most part, they're like, that's my mom. She loves me. It's cool. But when you have to introduce someone new to them and they have to build up that trust, um, it's, it's a really cool, but also challenging experience. And then us having Olivia, you know, we call her, she's like our um, bridge baby because none of us are connected to each other. There's no connecting line from all of us physically except for her. Mm-hmm. And she's the bridge. I always say she brings us all together and they can always say that's my sister collectively. You know, that's yeah. my baby sister. And she was such a blessing and such a, I don't know. I, it was really weird. When I had Addie Grace and Price, we strug- I struggled with fertility, and I thought I might never have children. And so I begged God for one child, and I had a miscarriage with that first baby. And then I had Addison, and then I had Price. And then through a really painful experience, God gave me a double portion. I have four kids. Now I asked, you know, I just asked for one, one yeah. and now I have four. <laughs> and, you know, it was such a great Sometimes he just shows off, you know, Uh but we don't always see the steps it's going to take to get there, but he did. I mean, he blessed me with four really great kids and we have to actively choose each other and we have to actively show up for each other, but, but we do it and it works. Mm -hmm. Were they excited when you were pregnant? Were they all excited when you got pregnant with Olivia? They were. Um, They Easton really wanted a brother because <laughs> he already got to, you know, he got thrown into a really unique situation. He went from being an only child and he was with his bachelor dad to now, you know, dad's married and I've got two sisters and now we're having a baby. So he really wanted it to be a boy. And when we went to the ultrasound and they said it's a girl, he said, well, maybe the next one will be a boy. And I said, oh, there's no next one. <laughs> You're going to have to hope for some brother-in-laws or something. Like, this is <laughs> this is it. But they, they are. And they're so sweet with her. And I was always worried, will it be, like, weird or will there be any jealousy? Because she's obviously mine and Aaron's only biological child. Uh, but there really hasn't. They just love her. They're crazy about her. 
they help with her. And I really feel like she kind of solidified, like, this is our family unit. And we came to each other in a way that maybe is not as traditional, although it's becoming more, you know, prevalent in society. But um, she came, we, we became this family unit in a way that's unique, but I don't know, like, it's just, to me, it's just the gospel played out. It's redemption. It's, you know, not seeing the victory coming. And then one day you just wake up and you're like, man, I'm living in the victory. Like I am living in the hopes and promises that God told me I would have. Mm. And I love that. It's so good to know, especially our listeners who might be hearing this today and doubting that they ever will hope again, like mm-hmm. doubting that it'll ever be experiencing love, experiencing what they thought were just beyond reach. And it's really encouraging to think, no, God has so much more planned than we could ever ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. He has things around the bend that you just don't see. You just don't know mm-hmm. yet. Right. Yeah. And I think it's such kindness of God like just going to that dinner at First Baptist where Susan was speaking mm-hmm. and telling little things that you had no idea was no. going to come into play in just a few months later. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, I think back to that experience all the time. Um, and God's always doing that. Isn't it always hindsight truly is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But when we can look back and we can see there's a great song, it's Defender, and it says, you go before I know. You know, you you go ahead and you win the war and you bring back the head of my enemy. Before I even knew, I didn't even know we were going to battle and you were already three steps ahead. You know, to see to see that in my life, um, it's, it's absolutely real. And I know that he put me at that dinner so that I could, I remember watching her speak and thinking, oh, you know, she's been through so much and having no idea that I was going to walk that same road. But again, she carried the lantern. She got up there. She told her story. She was a beacon of hope. And because she did that, I felt comfortable when I was going through my own situation that was similar. I met with her several times and she counseled me and was such wise and great counsel for me. But he always, he's always steps ahead of us. And listeners, if you are thinking, I need to meet this Susan Cook lady. We have good news for you. If you go back <laughs> to episode 11 yes. of Afraid Not, you can hear Susan's story yes. and glean from her wisdom and learn. She shared with us back in, I guess that would have been in our first our first year of yeah, this. First yeah. year. And so it's just encouraging to hear what the Lord has done in Susan's life. So if you're thinking, I need to meet her, you can. (laughs) You do, and you need to listen, and you won't be disappointed. Like I said, God put so many incredible people in my life to sort of walk along with me. And it was it's really funny because I was talking to my husband the other night, and I said it was truly one of the saddest times of my life, but also... It was one of the times where I really just felt the hand of God mm. so prevalently. I mean, I, I am convinced. I remember I was telling my husband, you know, um, that I had been praying for a certain situation during this time. And I prayed and I prayed and, and he said to me, well, did it change that person? And I said, no, but it changed me mm. because I learned how to mm-hmm. pray mm-hmm. just to put my request before the father, but without any expectation that he was going to do what I wanted. Because I used to pray, God do this with full expectation that he was going to do exactly what I wanted. 
And what I learned was I'm going to bring my petitions before you and I'm going to trust that you know better than what I know is good for me. Because I have to do that with my kids all the time. How many times do my kids ask me, can I eat this candy? And I'm going, dinner's in 30 minutes. That's not a good idea. I could be nice and say, sure, eat the candy. And they'd be like, yes, she's, yes, best mom ever. But sometimes (laughs) my wisdom and my knowledge of the world that's greater than theirs knows that there's something better and knows that, you know, no, that's going to be a no for me. That's not going to fulfill you, but this dinner will. Right. And so I learned how to pray just so that it would change me and change my reason for asking and change my expectation of wanting to get my way and wanting to do it God's way. That was a hard lesson to learn, though. I, I want my way. I want you to fix this. I, I don't want to walk this path. I want you to do this for me. And as I began to walk the actual journey, I just started to learn, I just I just want to do what you tell me. Mm-hmm. I just want you to do what you think you should and then just help me, you know, inch me along because sometimes it is, it's just like, it's an inch at a time. I can't pretend that it wasn't a terrible time. I mean, it was, it was gut wrenching. I have never cried so hard as I did during that season. I watched my children have their hearts broken. I watched my parents be like decimated. I watched the community of our church see leaders fall. That's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's devastating to the kingdom. Um, I got messages from people all the time. I got off social media for a whole year, which was great. And it's a, it's a good thing to do. But I would occasionally check and I would get all of these messages. You know, what's going on? I, I heard. And just overwhelming the amount of sadness that hung in the air. And it's one of those things that you don't ever move on from, but you do move forward. So I don't sit in that sadness anymore, but like even thinking about it now, I remember the weight of it, like it was yesterday. And I don't know that that will ever change, but I I have moved forward and I have seen, you know, the goodness of God, even in the worst experiences mm-hmm. of my life. When you think back to the pitch black, and like to go to your analogy of what you were telling your daughter, maybe you're on a dark road and you feel like you can't take, even take a step. Mm-hmm. When you think about those pitch black moments of how am I going to even walk on this road? I can't even see the road. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that now in your hindsight 2020 that you look back and you're like, oh, that blessing was from God. And this moment and this resource and this scripture or this day or this way God brought through, what are some of the things you look back and you're like, I see now God was giving me what I needed to get me through? Absolutely. Well, the first blessing is the fact that, I mean, my parents were there to take me in because I didn't have anywhere to go and I had not worked. I was a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't have resources. So just having people that loved and supported me, that's an obvious answer. But some of the smaller things that I can think of I had started working um, for GCK just because I I needed to do something, but the girls were really struggling, you know, with me being gone and I needed to be present. And um, so I, I went to work there and I remember Jana, who's the director, she came in and she handed me this check and it was a pretty significant sum of money. And I was like, Oh, what is this for? And she was like, well, since you're working here now, we're refunding all of the tuition 
that you had paid because, you know, workers get a, a discounted tuition. So here's everything you had paid up until this point. Um, and I remember just like, look, and it was wow. the largest sum of money that I had earned, you know, cause I had been a stay at home mom. So I was not like financially contributing and I had no idea that was going to happen. And it was just standard procedure for them. But for me, it was like God saying, you know, here's something, this is something to help you contribute and yeah. to help get you on your feet. Um, and it was so important to me. I remember I like took the check home and I just couldn't believe it because it was really like I had been paid for fitness classes and things like that, but I had not earned like a substantial bit of money really in years. And I remember just seeing that as like, okay, like you're, you're in the little things just as much as you are mm-hmm. the big mm-hmm. things. Right. Cause it's easy to pray for like, you know, the big things, but sometimes we feel silly or we feel like God's too busy for the little things. I remember specifically when I went to the courthouse the day that I was going to sign the divorce papers. I went by myself. I didn't want anyone to go with me. I wanted to, you know, my mom was like, I could go. No, I just want to go by myself. And previously, like a year before, I had given my testimony at First Baptist Owasso, and they had asked me to sing Living Hope after I gave my testimony. I remember that. And I and so I, I did. I listened with tears. I loved it. And I and I did. And I remember I signed the papers and it was truly the most hollow feeling. I mean, because up until that point, there was always this one little party that thought maybe something will change. You know, the ink's not dry. Like, but when I signed those papers, I stood in front of a judge and I remember thinking, 13 years of my life and it's undone with a signature. You know, like mm-hmm. that was so like hollow and empty. It was just in a very like fluorescent courtroom. There's like 25 other people there trying to sign their papers. So it's just very, it feels so cold, sterile. Yeah. And cold. And like, this is my life and my children's lives and all of my hopes and dreams. And I just, I just signed that paper and now it's like, it never happened. It was such a weird feeling, but I remember I went to my car, I got in my car and I just thought, God, this just can't be how my story ends. Like this, this can't be it. And I just went to turn on my car and I never listened to the radio. I mean, never. Um, I always would like plug my phone in and pick the songs that I like to listen to, but I just turned on the car and at full volume, Living Hope comes on. And you you could tell me, oh, that's such a coincidence. And (laughs) you can believe that if you want to. You can believe that at all the radio stations, at all the times, at all the songs they could play, there was only one that I stood up on stage and sang and said that, that God is my only hope. And that's the song that played. And I just like, I just sobbed. I mean, I have, I cried so hard. I cried because I was sad, but I cried also because God saw me, you know, like he's busy, but he saw me. giving you the audacity of hope. Yes. 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 Like that there, I told you, I'm, I'm just happy to have a glass sometimes. And I, I just remember God reaching down. I mean, it truly felt like he reached down into my little SUV and said, I'm not through with you yet. And I'm still, there's so much more to your story and I'm not finished. I'm actively writing it. And he's actively writing everyone's story. The truth is he's not finished until we're finished. Like 
as long as we're upright and have breath in our lungs, he's actively writing something for me. But that moment for me was such a, I needed it because I had just come out of this very sterile, cold, you know, hopeless room. Cause like I said, it's just a bunch of people in there signing away their marriages. It's Mm -hmm. quite depressing and not something I ever thought I would find myself doing. And then I sit in my car and I just basically told God, I need to know that this isn't, it's not going to save the end when I turn the next page. And it didn't. And it hasn't. He kept writing for me. He kept writing so many beautiful chapters. What a, what a gift that God gave you that song in that very moment. What a gift. Right. Yeah. Oh. So what was Addie's response when you told her about the lantern? You know, Addie is, she's, she's very wise and she has already started to seek out. She, if, if she has friends, cause she's getting to the age now where sometimes a friend might tell her my mom and dad have split up or, you know, she, I've always tried to instill in her that if you can help somebody with your story, you should. So she was very pleased with that answer. And then she was telling me, oh, I have a friend at school and her parents are going through a divorce. And I just sat with her on the playground and, and, and listened to her and talked to her. I've tried to instill in all of our kids that if God never wastes our pain, then we shouldn't either. And we should always be actively looking for ways to share our story. And more importantly, to share what God has done. God has such a wild habit of taking people that are underqualified or come from situations that maybe the church or religious people might say, well, that's not the ideal situation. He has such an interesting habit of using those people to tell the gospel. We see that all the time in the Bible. You know, we see that it's very rare that he picks the person that has always been upright or always had everything go correctly in their life. He often uses people that have been humbled and have walked through really hard things. Absolutely. And I, and I, I love that about God because I certainly am not perfect. And, and no one is. Right. And I think it's so important to keep in mind that Man, God writes the story how he wants to, and I'm I'm just glad to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's really I, I I used to think I would I would go back and change all of that. I would I would take all that hurt away. I, I wouldn't walk through that. But I'm really to a place in my life where I wouldn't because I like who I am today. I like who God has crafted me to be. And I and I like that he picked me to tell a really important story. I like that. And, and I'm not, I'm not bothered by it. I used to kind of feel, you know, failed marriage and this and that. And, but I like my story and it's so similar to so many other people's stories too. Mm -hmm. We get in our mind that, Oh, if you're a Christian, you have this great easy life and nothing ever goes wrong. And when you really dig into it, that's not true at all. The no, human experience not. is the human experience. The right. difference is, right. do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because I can find people from all genres of faith that have had really difficult things happen to them. The human experience sort of levels the playing field. And what we do with it usually comes from supernatural influence, mm-hmm. from God 
stepping in and making himself known and then us being willing to say that was absolutely God and there's no other explanation for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have one more question yes. before we wrap up. Yes. So if we have a listener who is stepping into the unknown, maybe a blended family, mm-hmm. what are some things that are you're so glad you did that you might want to tell someone these would be helpful for you to mm-hmm. step in and, and be um, walking well with this? Some things that have been incredibly helpful for us is, first of all, we really do try to cultivate an environment at our house, which is you can tell us how you feel. And as long as you do it in a respectful way, we're going to listen and we're going to hear you for what you're saying and how you're feeling. And that's okay. It's, you have to not be like offensive with your kids, especially coming from, I have both the role of stepmom and mom in my house. Mm -hmm. I have a unique Mm -hmm. perspective. I'm both those things. And Aaron is also both those things because He's a stepdad to my children, and then he has Easton and Olivia as his biological children. And one of the worst things you can do is start getting offended by their initial kind of pushback at the situation or their initial fear. Because you have to remember, all of our kids come from a broken home. So Easton, Addie, and Price, they've seen a relationship fail. So, of course, when they see a new relationship, especially if they like that person and they like the siblings that they're being introduced to, they're fearful. If this all goes away, I'm not trying to get hurt again because I've already been down that road. So we try to always give them the space to say, as long as you're respectful, you can tell me how you're feeling and I'm going to listen to it. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that it's okay to have those feelings and feelings change too. You know, the way our kids felt three years ago, we've grown a lot as a family. And we have learned to love each other on a much deeper level than we did. So also don't get stuck in the mindset of this is really hard and it will always be hard. Now, raising children is hard, whether you adopted them, you had them, you know, you inherited them by marriage. Having a family is hard all the way around, but everything is seasonal. And I have found that the more the less we tried to like force it and the more we just tried to be organic with them and let them have their thoughts and their feelings and express those things, the better that it went for us. And we also happen to have really great kids, which made it a lot easier too. Um, and then also we do try to like let Aaron do things with my girls and I do things with Easton to try to establish that bond beyond know the stereotypical step parent we show up for all of the kids and we present ourselves as a family my kids do not call Olivia their half sister um and they don't really call each other step siblings not if they wanted to and they were like no I don't want to call them but we really do try to facilitate we are a family and this family unit is going to be successful and we can't be successful without you guys being on board However that looks for you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're mad or they've got their feelings hurt or, you know, we're 10 year olds now. So we're pre puberty. Like we're having a lot of feelings at my house. Like (laughs) we're having a lot of feelings and a lot of smells and, you know, it's, it's really something, but I don't know, I guess just don't be easily offended because they're kids and they're working through a whole lot of feelings Mm -hmm. and a whole lot of, you know, um, hurt and fear and also 
learning to hope again too, because like I said, they have seen relationships fall apart. They want to protect themselves just as much as you wanted to protect yourself before you got in this relationship that you're in now where you're like, yes, we're a blended family. This is amazing. You're there. Maybe they're not yet. Um, I read an article once that said it takes three to five years for a family to really successfully blend. And when I first read that, I thought, oh, we'll have this whipped in six months. You know, no, it's three to five years. <laughs> it takes some time. It does. It takes some time and it takes a lot of grace, grace with your partner, your husband or your wife, because they're learning how to co-parent with you on the spot. Most people have children, you have a baby together and you parent together and you figure out those things as you go. When you are dating someone and you both have children, you might parent very differently and you're having to learn how to parent with someone immediately. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just in it. You're driving the car and you're going, there's no driver's test. So Aaron and I, we had to learn how to parent with each other. We had to learn that we parent differently and how do we how do we work with that? You know, um, it's, it's a lot, it, it's a whole lot, but man, it's so cool too. And I wouldn't change it. I love my family and I love, I love how God put it together. And I love that it has blown my simple request for just one baby out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it took that one request of a 20 something year old girl, just begging God for the opportunity to raise just one kid and now I have four and that's so special and and such a um, responsibility and a blessing and you know we get the opportunity to pour into these kids and to show them that God restores things and that's a really valuable lesson thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today giving us all of these nuggets of truth. It's just, um, it's been a real joy. Thank you so much for asking me. Thanks for listening, everyone. And a big thank you to Lori Beth for saying yes and being brave to share her story. Um, She shared with us that just a few weeks ago, she was praying about being brave to share and to to be willing to do like like what she said, hold a lantern up for someone, and that she told the Lord she'd be willing to. And then, wouldn't you know it, (laughs) that's when the Lord put her name in our plans for a recording, which is so cool. The verse that she referenced, Hebrews 4.15, that says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And she references that when she talks about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, that he had also asked for the cup to pass. And sometimes God does call us to walk through things that we would never choose on our own. We would always, we would continue to ask him to please take this cup for me. I don't want to do this. But he also had that experience, and I just thought that was such a beautiful way to look at that. My favorite thing out of this whole episode, Jill, is the phrase that Lori Beth said that God gave her the audacity to hope again. And oh, listeners, that is what we are just hoping for you, that you would recognize in this story 
that it is an example for you. You can have the audacity to hope again, that God has great things for you, good plans and beautiful promises. And what you see today is not the last page of the story. (laughs) And we're so glad that you listened today. Thanks for listening. Uh, We will probably take a break for the rest of this month since it is Christmas, the next one that should come out. And I don't know that you want to listen to us on Christmas Day, but maybe you do. I don't know. So, so we'll be back in January. We hope you have a great holiday and great first of the new year. And here comes 2024. 2024 and starting year six for us. So we're all excited. Have a great day, everyone.